Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So the other day, I was sitting in my office and I received a phone call. And I received a phone call from a sister in the Lord who doesn't attend this church, never has come here, but I've known her for many, many years. I mean, we've been in Lubbock 18 years. I've known her quite a bit. And um, I know she loves the Lord. I mean, she she loves the Lord. And, and, um, and many times throughout the years, we would often have conversations. And I find it very interesting. We had specific conversations on the importance of proper exposition of the text. Okay, we would, we, because again, there were a lot of people who would, who would take scripture out of context, try to stand on that, and end up falling and, and being hurt by God. Well, God didn't come through and his promises. No, 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 you, you took it out of context, and, and we've got to have, and so we'd, we'd have this debate, and we'd have, no, 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 listen, here's, here's, here's what it means, and, and, and you need to understand that, that this is what the text really says versus what many want it to say. And what we need to understand, just even moving forward, is that you cannot take a verse out of context because then you make it a pretext. And if you make it a pretext, it can say anything you want it to say. The problem is, is that you want it to say something. The Lord goes, that's not what I mean. And then you go, oh, well, this is how God treats me. Okay, I'm going to walk away from God. That's the danger of taking verses out of context. We have to understand the text. We have to expose the text. What, what is the Lord saying? And so we would have this conversation and we'd be talking year after year and, you know, this is what script. Oh, Pastor. Anyway, long, long story short, I get a call and I'm just calling to see how you're doing. How are you doing? Well, understand this, this dear sister had developed breast cancer a while back. And uh, Natalie and I had actually went to pray with her and pray for her. Um, and so, so I know this sister. I know this sister. She loves Jesus. But in the midst of our conversation, she proceeded to tell me just how bad and dark and deep her trials have been. And it was, it was somewhat, wow. Because when you don't hear from somebody, you're like, you assume they're doing good, you're doing good, amen. But this was like, I'm sitting here going, sister, I'm so sorry. Wow. Wow. I mean, deep, dark storm issues. I'm just going, oh my goodness. And as we talked for several minutes, and I'm apologizing, I'm saying, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I'm so sorry. Wow. You don't deserve that. Then the confession comes. There's a pause in the conversation, and then I hear, Pastor Ben, she says, I know, I knew a lot about Jesus, but I don't think I really knew him in my heart, at least not like I do now. Pastor Ben, I knew a lot about Jesus, I knew scripture. I'd spout him out, but I don't think I knew him like I know him 
now. At that moment in my brain, church, something changed. Something has changed with this sister. See, she moved from knowing a lot about Jesus to really knowing him by experience. See, that experience is not always pleasant. That experience is not always good. Sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes it's broken. Sometimes it's a mess. And, and, and God says, no, I, I'm not doing this to you on purpose. I'm just going to use this so I can bring you into a real experiential knowledge of me. The problem is, is that sometimes we have well-meaning pastors that says, no, 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 you should never be sick. You should never do this. You should never go through any heartache. You're the church. And, and it's like, no, we know that Peter said you're going to suffer. There's going to be heartaches. There's going to be trials. I'm going to stand up and say, I don't like them. I don't want to go through them. Life is hard enough as it is, but if it brings me to, I knew a lot about Jesus too. Well, I know Jesus. then it's worth it because you put that away. Okay, okay. How many of us in this room have ever been through a trial that go, man, I never want to go through that again, but I'm glad I did. But I'm glad I did because it changed me. Exactly. Exactly. And so this sister went and I was like, wow, something changed. Something changed. She knew him in her darkest moments. She knew him in her deepest trial. Jesus, my Jesus, became very real to her in her most difficult time. You go, Ben, why do you share that story with us? Well, the reason I share that story is because I believe it illustrates what Matthew is trying to teach us today. You go, well, what's that? We've all been called to follow Jesus to become a fully devoted follower of him. You go, that's right. And the series, the term follow me is more than, listen, I click follow him on social media, I'm following Jesus. That's not it. He's calling us to be disciples, okay? Now, when I say that we're all, that, that, that basically, when I say that God has called us to be a disciple, Everybody kind of gives a nod of approval. Amen? We go, yeah, he's calling us to be a disciple. But here's what we need to understand. As we come to chapter 10, we now learn the price we have to pay as disciples of the Lord. You see... It's one thing to come in and go, yeah, I'm, I'm a church attender. I attend church. And then God goes, okay, cool. Love it. Amen. I want you to hear. I want you to grow. And then all of a sudden, you get to the place where he starts to move you to become a disciple. A disciple is, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, amen. I'm going to be a disciple. Let's go. But God goes, hold on, because I need to tell you the price that you're about to pay. I need to tell you. Obviously, if you're taking note, the title of my message is The Cost of Discipleship. Now, let me just give you text, okay? I understand that in our text, the first 15 verses, Jesus is going to call the 12 to go out and change the world. Now, what we need to understand is when Jesus calls the 12 and he's going to send them out, you need to remember it's not about social media. It's not, they literally went out and changed the world. We didn't have a Facebook. 
We didn't have all of that stuff. I mean, sometimes people go, well, if we don't have internet, we can't get the gospel out. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. What God wants to do is prepare each one of us that if we ever had no internet, no way of communicating, no anything, could we still proclaim the gospel in our neighborhoods? And in our life. Yes, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Now, every morning, I love to get a a text, and I love to put it on Facebook and send it out to the world. And it's not about likes or anything else. It's just, this is, this is what, here's the challenge. Send it, I like to send. Some people read it. Some people will say, hey, that's what I needed today. Amen. But I want our lives to be more than just a Facebook post or an Instagram post, or a TikTok video, or whatever it might be. We need to know what God is asking us to do. We have to grasp the cost of following Jesus. Well, how so, Pastor? Well, look at me real quick, guys. I'm going to take you to verse 5a for just a moment. I want you to underline something in your Bibles. In Matthew chapter five or 10, verse 5, it says... These 12 Jesus sent out. That's what I want to see. Look at that word sent out. You can underline that. Okay? Now he continues on by saying, And he commanded them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans. We'll talk about that. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to notice that Jesus calls them, and he's going to send them out. That's a very interesting word. Why? Because in the context, everybody say context. He's moving them from disciples to apostles. The apostle, the root word here for apostles is one being sent out. One being sent out for the gospel. That's what an apostle means. One being sent out. Now, here's what we need to understand. This is where we get our term as missionaries. Missionaries. We sent missionaries out for the gospel. Now, in writing the sermon, I realized that there are a lot of churches who have an official office of apostleship. Well, this is apostle so-and-so, and this is apostle. And I sort of cringe because biblically, there's really not an office of apostle anymore. Jesus will move the 12 disciples to apostles. He will move them. But really, we'll get the term being sent out as missionaries. So in a sense, yeah, I mean, there is, I get that. We, But there's not an effect, you go, Ben, 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 wait a minute. I've been to a church where they have apostles so-and-so. But but what we have to do is we have to look at biblically. Why? Because over in in Revelation, we see that that God's going to have, what, 12 thrones. The 12 thrones for the 12 apostles. This is what he's going to have. And what we realize is he doesn't have a myriad of thrones because there's not a myriad of apostles. He has the 12. And what we have to realize is biblically, and I'm going to hit this point and move on very quickly, but in order to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, you had to have seen the risen Lord. That was the criteria. You had to have seen him. So somebody goes, I'm, I'm an apostle of this church. Well, have you seen Jesus? Well, no, I don't mean, have you seen Jesus amongst his people or a great sunset or have you seen him? Well, no. Okay. Well, then, then yes, you can be a sent one, a missionary, however you want, 
to call it. Why? There's a lot of us who are missionaries. What do you mean? Well, we'll send, we'll send missionaries across the, uh, across the globe. Go tell them about Jesus. Go, yes, we'll support you. Some of you have that gift and it goes, man, I just want to go out and, and be a missionary. But also, too, do you know missionaries are church planters? They go to another place and they plant a church. And they preach the gospel. And they share the word of God. But do you know that you're missionaries? You go, I am not. I'm not, I'm not a church planter. I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, guys, listen. It's when you go across the street and you share with your neighbors. That's a missionary. You're being sent. You're being sent. Well, who am I being sent with? Well, you're being sent by the Lord. You're being sent by the Lord. And this is what he talks about. So Jesus is going to call the 12, and he's going to send them out. In verses 1 through 4, Matthew is going to give us the name of the disciples. You guys with me? Now, we're going to break each one of those down a little bit later on, but here's the point I want to make. You ready? Each one of the disciples knew the cost of discipleship. Why? Because it literally cost them their lives. When Jesus looked at Peter, Yo, Pete, how you doing? Follow me. Peter at that moment, maybe maybe not at that moment, because I know we don't, but he realized soon enough that that was going to cost him his life. Peter. Peter, the same guy who said, I can't, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Jesus. So I'll tell you what, why don't you turn me upside down? And it wasn't even a cross, it was more like an X, and that's how Pete died for the gospel. What you need to understand is it would have been better for Pete to be crucified just in a normal way. It would have been less cruel because when he was upside down, he could still breathe easier. And it was more torturous, you understand. But he says, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. How did Pete, and we'll talk about him in a minute, how did Pete go from, oh, I don't know him. You see, he moved. The love of God constrained him so much that he said, I'm not worthy. I'm married, this is wonderful, but my life belongs to Jesus. Guys, think about that. They knew. They knew. And in essence, in application, we're called to be his disciple. We're called to be his disciple. But we have to understand the cost as well. It would not be, it would not be very nice of me to say, hey, you need to be his, you need to be his disciple. You ready? And you go, okay, what am I, what am I, what am I supposed to expect? Now I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Because here's what we need to learn. We need to learn the principle of Scripture. You ready? Jot this down. Luke chapter 14, verse 27 through 30. Luke 14, 27 through 30. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this. And if you, it says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Your attention, please. Then what did Jesus just say? He said, if you're not ready to carry your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Now, let's fast forward to 2021, and here's what we think. We think, oh, well, 
we, we label everything, that's my cross to bear. You guys hear that? If something is hard, well, that's just my cross to bear, brother. That's my, right? And we'll label everything from a, a bad boss, well, that's just my cross. My boss is just, to mother-in-law, I hope none of your mother-in-laws are like that. My mother-in-law, I've got one of those mother-in-law, are you kidding? Just my cross to bear. That's not what he means. That's not what he means. There's hard times. Mother-in-laws are hard times. Bosses are hard times. People are hard times. It's just hard times. You guys with me? What does he mean, carry my cross? The cross meant death. If you were carrying a cross, you were bid to die. And Jesus just told his disciples, hey, listen, what did he say? He says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And then he says this, notice, but don't begin until you count the cost. Don't do it until you understand. What's that? For who would begin construction on a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete the foundation before running out of money. And everyone would laugh at you, and they would say, hey, there's that person who started the building, and he couldn't afford to finish it. Isn't that the truth? And He says, listen, let's just look at it in a practical sense. Nobody starts building a project. Nobody starts building a house and going, oh, I, didn't think, I thought I had enough money. No, you count the cost. What is this going to be? How much is this going to cost me? He goes, in the same way, to be my disciple, I have to count the cost. We have to count the cost. What's it worth? In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Diedrich Bonhoeffer writes, and I quote, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, end quote. End quote. So as we come to our text this morning, guys, let me ask you some questions first. You ready? You go, what's that? First question, what is the cost of truly becoming a disciple of the Lord? Or how about you you personalize it? What is it going to cost me to become his disciple? What's it going to cost me? Oh, like what? Well, let me give you another question. What is it that we are really supposed to do? What is it that we're really supposed to do? Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not bashing the American church. I... But what I am saying is sometimes we get too culturized that we forget what we're really called to do by God. We get too much of, okay, well, this is what I do. This is the programs I'm in. And, and we've become an institution that we forget that our church should be a hospital for those that are sick. And those who need God. And he doesn't call, well, you're the pastor. You should do it. He calls you. He calls you to come alongside people and love on them and walk with them. That's what he calls us to do. But here's another question that we should probably ask. You ready? What part of our lives can we keep as we seek to follow the Lord? What part of our lives can we keep? So with that as our intro, let's jump in and let's look, okay? So here's what I've got to ask you to do. You have to come back the next three weeks. 
Change your plans. Don't, don't, I mean, you, cause this is going to all flow into every one of them. You ready? Verse one. It says, and when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Your intention, please. When we first read this, we kind of just read over it, don't we? Oh, this is what Jesus did. He, he, he called his twelve. Amen. But we know, based upon the other Gospels, that Jesus went up to a mountain and he prayed all night. And then he called the twelve. He didn't just walk by and go, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Follow me. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't look at a young guy and go, hey, um, you, you don't look like you have anything going in your life. He prayed and he prayed. And you go, Pastor, what's your point? Here's my point. Jesus didn't take lightly the mission set before him. He prayed all night waiting on his father. You go, Ben, what was the reason? Because these guys, these guys, Jesus was going to pour into them. He was going to die, and they were going to take the kingdom and continue to live on. It was so important. Listen to me right now. You think you're here by mistake. You might think, well, you're not here by mistake. The Lord wants to move us into discipleship so that we can take the kingdom of the truth, church, to the next generation. You see, we're in danger of it dying out even today. We're in danger. You go, what do you mean? You know that we've already lost a generation of people. Right now, 30% of people truly believe the Bible. 30. So if we were to get 100 people in this room, only 30 would go, Amen! And maybe 70 would go, I don't think it's true. It's some fairy tales. But you realize over the next 20 years, if we're not careful, that's going to drop down to 4%. This is our grandchildren. They don't know the Word of God. They don't know the power of the Word of God. We're in danger. We're in danger of simply coming to church, hearing a message, and then going about our day, and we don't say anything to anyone. We're in danger. Now, listen, our city is a little bit different. Love our city. I love our city. The problem is, is that when you and I, because we live in such a city that that claims Christianity, when you go talk to somebody, you get shut down right away because, I'm a Christian, I go to church. That's really what they say. Hey, bro, how you doing? Can I tell you about... Well, I go to church over here. And, they, and they're like, cut you off. And so what happens, you do that enough times, eventually you stop talking to people. Because you're like, well, okay, I guess everybody's saved. Is everybody saved? <laughs> no. But that's our city. But what, what, I'm, what I'm asking you to do is don't stop sharing. Don't stop sharing. Another reason we stop sharing is because we begin to wander from the Lord. We begin to drift a little bit, and we feel like we can't share because we're not really walking with God. And so a disciple says, no, 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 I need to come back. The importance of sharing. Listen, you're here today because somebody shared with you. Somebody loved you enough that that, that they told you about God. And your heart went, boom, 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 boom. Oh my God, yes, 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 yes. I want Jesus. And what I want you to do, guys, is go back to your first love. Remember when you first got saved. 
Remember the excitement you had? You read your Bible. Some of you carried the big old co- the coffee table Bible. Remember? Well, I'm saved. What's this? There's my Bible. And you loved it. And nobody could tell you anything. And then you got, got grown up a little bit. And you're like, well, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Go back to your first love. Go back when Jesus met. All you could do is think about getting up and spending time with the Lord. Go back to the time when you were drinking your coffee. Go, Jesus, come have coffee with me. This is amazing. (sighs) This is good. Go back to that. Go back to that. Why? Well, again, guys, the church is in danger. Danger. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus looks and he says, and when he had called the 12, here's what I want you to see, um, and he gave them power. Do you guys see that? Power in your Bible? Circle that word. Circle that word. Very important word. Why? Because I know what you're thinking. I thought it was the same word used in the book of Acts when he said dunamis. He gave them dunamis where we get our word dynamite, not that word. He does give us dunamis power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But this word is a different Greek word. You go, what is it? It's actually exousia. Exousia. Okay? Let me give it to you. I'll spell it out for you. It's E-X-O-U-S-I-A. Exousia. Why is that important? Because it's a little bit different. The actual word means authority, jurisdiction, liberty, and strength. So it's a little bit different than dunamis, Dynamite! That dynamite power is when somebody's talking to you and, man, Scripture's coming. You're like, boom, boom, boom. And it's like, I don't even know I knew those. That's awesome. And you're sharing God's word, and it's so amazing. That's that dynamite. Holy Spirit come upon you. But this is different. He says, guys, you're going to go out. You're my disciple. I'm going to give you what? He says, I'm going to give you exousia power. Exousia. To do what? He says, man, to cast out over, over demonic spirits. You have that power over demonic spirits, to cast them out, to cast them out. He gave them authority and power, but also, if you hit a couple of clicks on there, it translates, he both qualified them and authorized them. So not only that, if you're called to be his disciple, he's going to give you exousia power, he qualifies you, and he authorizes you. Go. Go. You got your card, guys. You got your authority from the Lord. Let's go. Let's go. This is what he says. This is what he says. He gave them power to heal all kinds of sickness and diseases. Now, I truly believe God still does the same thing today. I really do. When we choose to be his disciple, we're given that same power. How many of you really understand that you have that same power? Now, I have to be super honest. You go, what's that, Ben? When we, when, when the Lord chooses not to heal someone, I get discouraged and I fall back to, oh, well, maybe the Lord didn't want that, or if the Lord wills. But in reality, I need to be reminded that I do still have this authority and this power. This is what I needed. And if the Lord chooses not to heal someone... I have to trust in the sovereign Lord. Amen. Okay, okay, I have to trust in him. But I have that power. You have that power. 
And that's what the world is missing today. They're missing the power that the Christian, that the disciple walks in. That's what our kids are missing today. They don't see the power in our lives. They don't see the Holy Spirit moving. And I'm not saying that we walk around going, okay, be healed, be healed, look at you. I'm not talking about that, guys, so be careful. What I'm talking about is, is, is moving from just attending church to being his disciple. To being his disciple. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And what you need to know is being his disciple looks different for every one of us. It looks different from every one of us, but he's calling us to do that. How so? Well, let's just jump back in this text, okay? It says, now the names of the 12 of the, what, apostles moved from disciples are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Lebus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, some of yours will say the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, let's talk about these guys. First, you have Peter. First, you have Peter. Okay? Peter was that boisterous, foot in the mouth, let's just go, I don't care what it takes. Roll over everybody, Peter. That's Pete. That's Pete. He calls Pete. But then he also calls his brother Andrew. Andrew's not like Peter. Andrew's more of the lesser. More of the lesser, you know? And then he calls James and John, both fishermen. The sons, what do they call them? The son of Zebedee. What did they used to call James and John? The sons of thunder, right? I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share this because I think it's interesting. How many of you know James and John, right? You know James and John, right? Sons of Zebedee. Sons of thunder! Do you remember their mom, Salome? Do you remember the mom? The mom comes and she goes... Hey, Jesus? He says, yes. Can I ask you a favor? What, what, what can I do for you? He says, can my sons, James and John, sit at your right hand and your left when you come in your glory? Do you remember? And what did Jesus go? Woman, you don't know what you're asking. Are they able to drink the... Oh, they're able. They're able. Let me just say this. I want you to write this down. You need to thank God when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want to. You need to thank God. You go, why? Do you remember where Salome was when Jesus was crucified? She was standing in front of the cross. Who was on the right and the left of Jesus? Two criminals who were also being crucified. Do you understand? God didn't go, oh, of course, yeah. He says, no, you don't understand where I'm going, and, and I'm going to say no? Because this meant death, this meant the cross for them, and that's not what I have for them. So you and I, when we pray, when we pray, oh, God didn't answer my prayer. What's the matter? I'm mad at God. God's going, no, I see the future. I see what's going on, and the answer is no right now. The answer is no. We don't praise him, but I'm telling you, Scripture says we need to pray. Solomon was probably going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I know you're on the cross, but thank you, you didn't answer. My boys, my boys, come here, boys. It's okay when God says no. It's okay when God says maybe or wait. It's okay when he says yes. Just a quick story, just a quick story. Then you have Philip. 
Then you have Bartholomew. Then you have Thomas. How many of you know him as Doubting Thomas? Poor guy, right? And then you have Matthew. And notice, he still calls him a tax collector. Matthew, if anybody was going to change the story, it would be me. I'm writing this. Then the crazy person. I'm not going to put that on there when I write my book. I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I'm just going to say Ben. No, he goes, that's who I am. I was a tax collector. That's who I am. Don't you love how transparent the word of God is? And then he says, and then he says, James, another James, Thaddeus, Simon. Okay, this is Simon the Zealot. And Judas Iscariot. Now, I want to point out a couple things before we move on. May I? The first thing I want you to realize is these were ordinary guys, just like you and me. Jesus prayed, and he, he said, come on, Alex, let's go. Alex like, I got, I got nothing. I'm just an ordinary guy. That's exactly it. Ordinary. He calls us. He calls us. There was nothing amazing about them other than they were called by God. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me so much. That encouraged me so much. I think about the, the situation, and I think about Acts chapter 4, 12 and 13. Do you guys remember the story? Here's what it says. It says, there is salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council, the government, all of these guys were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they knew that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Don't you love that? They're, they're going, huh? It's Mike. It's Mike. Mike doesn't have a, a seminary degree. Mike doesn't have a theology degree. Mike doesn't have a, he's not a dog. Huh? But he's crazy. He's just... Because he had been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. He'd been called by God. And you go, well, Pastor, what, what, what really is the point? Listen, some of you in here are really gifted, extraordinary people. But I love the fact that God uses ordinary people like me. When I was growing up, I never said, Lord, I have a big mouth. I think I'll be a pastor. Actually, I'm a really, really interesting introvert. I really am. So you would not think this dude is going to be a pastor. He's talking to everybody. He's in the room going, hey, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Hey. I'm just usually like this. I've been here. Can I go now? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But God does. I'm just like, okay. Then I'm going to use you. You're going to preach the Bible. Okay, Lord, you're going to have to help me. Do you realize, church, listen to me, do you realize that every, 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 every time I get behind this pulpit, I still get nervous? And my dependence is not on me. My dependence is, God, you're going to have to show up here. You have to show up here. Listen, if you, if you want to be used by God in amazing ways, just spend time with him. Just spend time with him. And when I say that, I don't mean 15 minutes from your job to your house. 
I mean, we have to take the effort to spend time. We have to turn off the TV, put the day's stuff aside, and spend, God, what do you want it? What do you, what do you want to do? You guys know what I'm talking about. I can see it by your face, and I'll tell you why. Because there are a lot of times that God will use what, you've, what you spent with him in that quiet time in that morning, that devotion time, seems to come out later in that day with using this. But you know what I read this morning? Boom, and you're just ministering to somebody. Like, whoa, that was cool. That was cool. That's number one. Number two, when I think of disciples, a couple things come to mind. Like, if they were coming in here, here today, Tony, I would say, What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Right? Let's talk about Peter. Why? Like, Peter, dude, bro, Pete, hey, you told all the disciples that you were willing, you were like, Look at me, I'm going to die for Jesus. Oh, Jesus, don't worry about it. These will, these, these will do, but I'll die for you, Jesus. Right? Where do we find Jesus next? Where do we find Peter next time? He's scared of a little girl. You were with him. No, I wasn't. And I'm thinking, Pete, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Guys, Peter had a sense of pride that he didn't realize who he was. Pete, Pete, what were you thinking? You over here, you're acting... Pete, come on. You go, who else? Well, I think of Andrew. I think of Andrew. Why? Because, because Andrew, you don't see much of Andrew. But just because you're Peter's brother doesn't make you less significant in the kingdom. So you come in and you go, well, I, no, nobody knows me. I just... It's because you're less significant or you feel like it doesn't make you that in the kingdom. God used Peter. God used... Andrew, what are you thinking? God can still use you. How many of us throughout the days feel like, man, I'm not even... I'm, I'm, less, I'm, I'm not even that significant for God's kingdom. I'm just, I'm just happy to be here, you know? And God's like, no, I've called you to be a disciple. I've called you to be a disciple. And then I think of who's the next one? I think, I think of Judas. I'm thinking, what are you thinking, Judas? Why? Because guess what Judas did? Judas traded eternal life, a throne in Jerusalem, glory for 30 pieces of silver. What were you thinking, Judas? What were you thinking? But I think every one of these apostles, every one of these disciples can speak to us because sometimes we think we're so prideful and the Lord's like, no, I don't want prideful. And sometimes we think we're all insignificant. God goes, no, I can use you. And sometimes we trade God's glory and eternal life for momentary gratifications. I think at one point or another, we all have contemplated momentary gratifications against the glory of eternal life. Wow. You ready? You ready? As a disciple of Jesus, we choose to forego the fleeting pleasures of this life for a greater life with God in heaven. You understand that? There are momentary pleasures. Hey, listen, listen. There's momentary pleasures, and we go, I know as a disciple, I need to forego those. They're just, they're just for a moment. 
there just for a moment. I can't wait to be with God forever. Forever. The enemy of our soul will use momentary pleasures, momentary gratifications to trip you up in your walk with God. He'll use them. Listen to what Mark writes in chapter 8, verse 36. For what will it profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will it profit us if we have everything that we've ever wanted? Every house we've ever wanted, every, every, every luxury? Think about, think about those people that we have um, that we've seen throughout, celebrities that have, we've seen throughout the years who have succumbed to death in one form or another. I think of someone like, for instance, like maybe Whitney Houston. Do you remember Whitney Houston? She had it all, everything she ever wanted. But literally, guys, she died of a broken heart. And, and, and again, as disciples, we go, listen, I don't need to have everything because I already do. The world, it's going to pass away. It's going to, I don't need that stuff. But then I get the voice. Everybody get that voice? You have that voice? But you want it. You like it. I know I like it. I know I want it. But I don't need it. I don't need it as it goes against what, what God wants me to do. God wants me to do. So Jesus first extends what? His announcement to the kingdom of heaven to the Jews and then those who are eagerly awaiting its arrival. What happens is Israel will eventually reject Jesus and that leads to the Gentile mission to which Paul comes in. So first and foremost, Matthew's writing... Okay, he's writing to Jewish people. Jesus is king, and so the commission was clear. He says, hey, guys, first go to the kingdom of God, the lost sheep of Israel. Okay, let's look. Um, well, John, he, he follows up with John 4.22. He says, you worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. Okay, so Jesus says, let's start here. Let's start with the Jewish people. Remember, the Gentiles are going to be grafted in in due time. Can I get an amen? Because that's us. That's us. Okay? So here's what's going to happen. You're going to be walking one day, and uh, you'll be singing that song, I'm walking on sunshine. I mean, you're just having a great time, and then, boom, you're going to hear the, the trumpet, and we're going to be gone because we've been grafted in. But right now, in our text, Jesus says, okay, go. Go where? Go to the lost sheep of Israel. So what should we do? Well, look at verse 9. He says, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor tar tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worth his food. And then he tells them, depend on the hospitality of others for you to minister in that town. Why is that important? Why is that important? Okay, listen. It's important to understand context because Jesus just told his disciples, make sure when you go out, when you guys go, don't take anything with you. Don't take anything with you. Now, if we were to not understand the text, 
then we could take this and go, okay, okay, Lord, you said don't go. And we'll take it very literally, and this is not what Jesus is telling you to do. He's not telling you to do that. Today's missionaries are not to follow these instructions. Paul would often say, I appreciate the support of the churches, as do missionaries throughout the world. You guys understand that? Why is this important? Because we can learn as disciples, we must learn the principle of what he's telling them. What is he saying? He's saying, when you go out, don't take anything with you. What's he asking them to do? First of all, the first thing we need to grasp is he's asking them to be obedient. Why do we struggle, Kevin, with obedience? I don't understand. Because that's the biggest thing. But the second thing he's asking them to do, Tiffany, is what? Trust. Trust. And I love Christians when they go, I trust the Lord. Do you really? Do you really? Do you trust the Lord? Uh, Kind of. Well, again, let me just say this. Obedience and trust go hand in hand. Okay? Like peanut butter and jelly. Go hand in hand. What do you mean? Well, let me ask you this. What is... Put it this way. If Bonhoeffer and others say that the cost of discipleship is death, what does that look like in our lives? What does that look like in our lives? Right? Since we're all alive here. Y'all are alive here, right? Okay, I heard somebody. Yeah. It sounded a little like he was dead. But anyways, uh, yeah. So let's say it again. Y'all alive here, amen? amen? Okay, so we're all alive. So what does it look like? Number one, guess what it is? Obedience to the Lord. Can I get an amen? But we have no clue what that means, do we? We're like, amen! What does that mean? Let me give you some points. Ready? Obedience is instant. You guys understand that, right? Obedience is instant. When God tells you to do something, we don't debate. We don't sit there and go, let me juggle. Let's see. Can I do this? It's got to do it. Got to do it. Obedience is instant. Obedience is without question. Obedience is without question. How many of you parents know when you ask your kids to do something, they question you about what you just asked them to do? Hey, can you do this for me? Okay, so mom and dad just asked me to pick up the poop. What should I do? Let me see. Let's debate about this. Well, how much of the poop should I pick up? Do you want me to pick up just a little by the door? They start questioning all of that stuff, don't they? When it comes to obedience to the Lord, it's without question. What if God were to tell some of you, go, I want you to go. I want you to do a short-term mission trip. I want you to take your savings, and I want you to go. Oh, Lord. Okay, well, let me see. Let me ask some questions. How long do you want me to go? And what do you want me to do? And how is it? And how much do I need to spend? And I was really saving this for my color TV. I'm just not sure what I should do. He says, go. Go. Now I'm using that as a big, broad brush. Please buy your TV if you're buying a TV. I mean... When God asks us to be obedient without question, this person will obey even if it doesn't make sense to them. Obedience may cost, but this person will obey even when it hurts. You ever done that? It's usually with money for me. The Lord will say, go give them, go, go do this. And I'll be like, God, is that you? <laughs> is that I'll use, I'll use, I'll use, I'll use, um, let's see, I'll use, 
Adam and Tiffany. The Lord knocks on my heart and says, Ben, go give Adam and Tiffany $100 for groceries. The first question is, Lord, is that you? Because you sound a lot like me. And so, hey, come on, not me. I'll start debating back and forth. Are you sure? Uh, okay, Lord, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If Adam texts me today, because I know he doesn't like to text, but if Adam texts me today, I'll go give him 100 bucks. And so at 2 o'clock, I get a text. Hey, Pastor Ben, how are you doing? Oh. Bummer, dude. I'm good, bro. Are you guys okay? You need any help? No, Pastor, we're good. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I, but you know what? Obedience would go, look, God told me to give this to you guys. Here you go. And he let it go. Let it go. But we do that, don't we? You go, well, Ben, what if it wasn't God? I still bless my brother. I still bless my brother. Obedience, guys, is without question, but obedience does not question benefit. Come on now. Come on, somebody. Well, Lord, if I give Adam a hundred, then you're going to give me a thousand? Come on. Come on. What's in it for me? W-I-F-M. Lord, what's in it for me? Seriously? I sent my son to die on the cross for you? To save you from hell? To bless you? And I I didn't mean it like that, Lord. I'm good. I, I, I get it. Obedience is complete. Obedience is complete. This person does not obey to the 90th percent mark and then stop. It's 100%. How so? Rosa, God told me to give Adam 100 bucks, but I'm going to give him 50. Because I want to make sure it's God. Here you go, Adam. No, God says give him. Here's what I want you to do. How many of you have ever done that? And when you obey, it's the you knew it was God. You knew it was God. You knew it was God. And you're just like, amen. Thank you, Lord. And you never thought about it again. Somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, do you remember? Do you? No? Uh, I don't remember. You know, when I do think of it, it's when I'm in need and God blesses me out of the blue. And I'm just like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to be obedient. But let me write, let's write this down. Obedience is with the right heart. It's with the right heart. When we ask our kids to take out the trash, and they do, but they do it with the wrong heart, it's not obedience, is it? Hey, little Johnny, can you take out the trash? And they drop it, milk coming out. Is that obedience? They took out the trash, but they didn't do it with the right. Pastor Ben, why don't you obey God? Because in my life, I've valued other things higher than him when I should value him the best. And when he asks me to do something, I love him so much that I know he has my best interest at heart, and I can obey. Now, couple that with trust. Come on, guys. Couple that with trust. 
Okay? Trust. How many of you trust in the Lord? How many of you trust the Lord? It's a little bit different, is it not? You know that my granddaughter, she's seven years old, love her to death, but we always play trust fall. Always. Wherever she's at, she was climbing the tree the other day at my house in the backyard. She's climbing the tree. She's about yay high, and she turns around and she goes, Grandpa, trust fall. And she just, boom. Why does she do that? Because she knows Grandpa would never let her fall. Don't even think about it anymore. Grandpa, trust fall. She'll even tell me, move back a little bit. So, you guys tell me you trust in God, but do you trust God like that? Or have you felt, come on somebody, have you felt that he's let you down and therefore you don't trust him like you should? Boy, it got quiet in here, didn't it? That's how I feel. Listen, if I would have dropped Cordelia once or twice like I wasn't paying attention, she wouldn't trust me. But God has never let you fall. The devil comes in and says, yeah, he has. No, he hasn't. He's always caught me. I've made some bad choices and God still caught me. We need to hurry. Verse 11. Now, whenever he says, whatever city or town you may enter, inquire within, right? If it's worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go in the household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if not, let your peace return to you. And whoever does not receive you nor bear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake it off the dust off your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than in in the day of judgment for that city. So what's he telling him? He's going, guys, trust me. When you go in, you guys got a message. Go in. And if you peace, he's just telling him. He's giving him instruction. He's giving him instruction. Okay? So... We can't pull this verse and go, okay, Kevin, you're going to go down in your neighborhood. You're just going to walk in houses. And you're going to say, peace be with you. And it's not going to work. They're going to, they're going to kick him out. You understand that. So we have to learn. We have to learn the principle. Jesus is telling his disciples. But what I love, you ready? You ready? This is what he told the 12. As we close, I want to remind you, that next week, part two, is which the Lord tells us our part in proclaiming the kingdom right here in Lubbock. What do you mean? Jot this down. Verses 16 to 23 really don't apply to the 12, but they apply to us. Don't you just love the way Matthew wrote? Matthew goes, hey, this is what I saw. Here's what I wrote. Here's the 12. Here were the the instructions. Oh, by the way, in verses 16, these are your instructions. Oh, okay. So you need to be here for next week. So what have we learned? You ready? Quickly. Let's recap what we learned. You ready? Jesus today wants to move us from knowing a lot about him to knowing him. And sometimes it takes the form of suffering and trials and storms in our life. But the reward is, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know the living God. The God who created you 
intimately you know him. You could almost feel his breath. For just a moment today, I want you to put on, I want you to put on, let me, let me rephrase that. For today, I want you to realize that your, your Jesus glasses that you have on, I want you to look at all of your life's trials through those glasses and see how the Lord has really walked through that with you. And sometimes we think, man, that was really rough over here. That was hard over here. But when you put them on and you look at them through the lenses of Jesus, you go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Guide, we also learn, we also learn today, number two, when Christ calls a man, he bids them to die. He bids us to come and die. See, and, and honestly, death, this death takes many forms. Well, like what, Ben? Well, I mean, it could mean a physical death one day. It could mean that we get to a place in the United States where if you're a Christ follower, you could die. That could be. Or it could mean death to ourselves and our wants. Our wants. Lord, I want this and I want that, but you know what? More importantly, I want you. Death could mean, for some of us this morning, just obedience and trust. Just obedience. You go, how should I start? Start in the small things. Be obedient. Be obedient. Number three, we learn that God is still in the business of calling ordinary men and women to proclaim his gospel. Just like you and me, we're without excuse because he takes the ordinary and he makes us extraordinary. So you have that power. You have it. Go out and be his disciple. Amen? Father, we thank you this morning for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you have blessed us. Father, I know it's not an easy thing. If it were easy, everybody would be a disciple. But today, you're calling us to be your disciple. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, if you don't mind, I never want to leave a gathering without giving anyone an opportunity to become a follower of you, to be invited into the kingdom. And maybe as I was preaching and I was talking about disciples, there were people here saying, Lord, I'm not even, I don't even have a relationship with you. I don't even know if I'm saved. I can't be a disciple because I'm not even the family of God. And your spirit began to move on them in such a beautiful way. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I would just offer you an invitation. God is knocking on your heart today. Maybe he's saying, hey, today's the day you need to get right with me. You're not saved without him. You're not saved. Yeah, but God's going to save me and he's going to change all kinds of things. Amen. But let him do it. You go, Ben, what do I have to do? All you have to do is just lift up your hand right now. It's between you and the Lord. And you say, Pastor Ben, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Would you do that right now? Maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe there's somebody watching online 
that, that just needs to raise their hand. They go, Lord, forgive me. I need Jesus. Would you do that? If God had been speaking to you throughout the message and you're not right with God, would you just lift up your hand right now and you say, I want to be right with God? I don't know if I'm saved today, Pastor, but I want to be. Would you do that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you. We bless you. We're excited about what you want to do next week, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before we, get, before we go into worship, I want to remind you, our Wednesday night study was amazing. Not because I taught it, but the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's so, so, just the Psalms of David. Come on out to Wednesday, I'm asking you. It's so good. It's so good. We didn't even get to finish the whole eight verses. It was so good. So good. And next week, we'll finish 16 through 23. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon each one of you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.